It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation as we work our way through the month of October, getting ready to celebrate the Halloween holiday, if you will, happening on Monday, October the 31st. As the temperature begins to cool off here in our community, we are starting to see, and we've been focusing the last few weeks certainly on the flu season that's coming, but there's a term called RSV that's making headlines around the country, around the Northwest, and I know here in our country, and that's a virus affecting, uh, it's a similar respiratory virus, but it's affecting particularly young people around the country. And so we thought we'd bring Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District on to begin our program tonight to find out the latest on RSV and how it uh, how we should be addressing it if it impacts us and this concern relative to how it's impacting young children. And Heather, I know in reading some media articles around the country and around the state, it's it sounds like it's fairly it's impacting hospitals in western Washington. Are we what what do we know about it here and its impacts here in the Tri Cities area? Sure, Jim. Um, you know, we first started noticing there was a concern with RSV this year back on the East Coast. We heard lots of reports of hospitals over capacity with ill children needing um, that extra special care that only a hospital can give. So we knew it was only time that it would hit on our side of the United States as well, and it certainly has with uh, Seattle area West Side hospitals definitely showing an increase um, you know they're they're watching. Uh, is it going to impact them to the point that they're you know going to have too many people to serve? We certainly don't hope we get there, but um, it's definitely of concern. Now locally, we're also seeing a, an uptick in data. I think what people need to understand is RSV or respiratory syncytial virus is not reportable. So if a person tests positive, I'm not going to get a report on that. So we rely on other places to get data. And a lot of it comes from why people are admitted to the hospital. So when we look at our local Benton Franklin data, we definitely saw a significant increase over the last couple of weeks uh, of of hospitalizations for RSV. I am not hearing that any of our uh, acute care facilities are being stressed at the moment. But we're certainly early into the season, and we have a long RSV season ahead of us. So in the instance, and that's my understanding, at least at Catholic, certainly seeing more evidence of it, but not to the degree like we saw with COVID, where it would really place tremendous stress on the hospital system, which is good news. But I think what we're hearing, and maybe what what concerns people, is when they see the the young people, the pediatric cases that this is impacting that might raise the attention and raise the concerns of parents. Right. And, you know, the little ones are the, are the part of our population that we're concerned about the most, and particularly that premature infant whose lungs um, are not quite as strong as, as a full-term baby. So we have to really be careful with those kids who... Um, you know, their lungs are just not able to withstand an infection like this. So what we want parents to know is RSV looks like any other respiratory virus from common cold, influenza to COVID. You know, low fever, cough, wheezing, fatigue, runny, stuffy nose, decreased appetite and activity. 
But we want parents to understand that as soon as those symptoms start to get worse, then they really do need to seek out medical attention, especially if your child has any autoimmune illnesses, is immunocompromised, has other lung or heart disease problems. They need to reach out to the medical provider much quicker. And the symptoms that they should look for are if the skin starts to look dusky blue, oftentimes you'll see it first around their mouth, their lip. If the child is having difficulty breathing and they're really using their their entire body to breathe, their shoulders will go up and down, they're really struggling to pull the air into their lungs. They'll be breathing rapidly and potentially a severe cough. Plus, they can get a pretty high fever. So that's when you really need to seek out medical care. And, you know, in the long run, complications can be pneumonia, bronchitis, little ear infections, But there also is evidence that kids who have had RSV are more likely to develop asthma or recurrent wheezing um, later in life. So we typically think of it as, yeah, kids get RSV, but this year seems to be significantly worse because the last two, two and a half years during COVID, we were using all those protective measures to, to save us from catching COVID. Well, it meant we weren't exposed to RSV and our immunity didn't get any kind of boost from being exposed to it. And so we have a lot of kids who've had their immune system has not seen RSV and reacts pretty badly to it. Is it contagious? Um, yeah, it can be passed person to person. It's, it's that respiratory droplet. So just like any other respiratory illness. Yep, just like any other. And like I said, it's not vaccine preventable. And that's why, you know, it's so important to get your flu shot, your COVID shot, so that at least, you know, you have protection against those, knowing that they're circulating around as well. And uh, you certainly don't need your child to get both RSV and the flu or RSV and COVID at the same time. For older populations, is is there a, is there anything different? Is it the same concerns than the younger population? We do see older people get it as well. Most of the time, they don't require hospitalization. But again, an older person who has a weakened immune system has pulmonary or cardiac problems. It can land them in the hospital as well. And really, there's no treatment for it. It's not something you give an antibiotic for because it's a virus. But you have to give supportive care, and oftentimes that's hydration because kids with RSV who are having trouble breathing don't want to eat, they don't want to drink because it takes too much energy to breathe. They just don't eat. So that was my next question. You you said the treatments for it are mostly of the supportive, the comfort type care. Right. Oxygen, um, therapy, some... um, Breathing treatments to help those lungs open up and work better. And then, you know, definitely keeping the child hydrated so that secretions in the lungs are as liquid as possible so they can cough them out. Before we let you go, I, you know, we we used to spend entire shows on the word COVID, and thankfully we're not in that. But I'd be remiss if I didn't get an update from you on where we are with COVID in our community and region. You know, we um, are still seeing COVID. It is not gone. It, Like we've said uh, for quite some time now, we're just going to have to accept the fact that, that COVID is going to be with us for probably many, many years to come. 
still looking at some of the other variants that might be coming our way and are they going to be dangerous. So again, the most important message we can have is get vaccinated uh, so that you have a better chance of surviving COVID or having a less severe illness should you catch it. So now you add, I can remember a year ago when the concerns were, uh, what was the word, twindemic, you know, flu and COVID, and maybe now we have flu, COVID, RSV, but any one of these combinations, it's just one of these things that we need to continue to be vigilant about regardless of, of what it is. You're exactly right. And, you know, covering your cough, using meticulous hand washing, keep your hands away from your eyes, your nose, your mouth. Those types of behaviors will really help prevent illness as well. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And explain to me, what's what's the name RSV stand for again? Respiratory syncytial virus. Okay. So that's one that we need to be paying attention to, RSV. And again, Heather, thanks so much for your time. If you'd like more information on all of these issues, you can go to the Health District. It has a very robust website at bfhd.wa.gov. Back with more of Cadillac on Call in just a moment. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And every month, every year during the month of October... The color pink seems to take center stage, and appropriately so, because it's a month when the focus in our community, especially relative to health care, focuses in on breast cancer awareness. Certainly the color of pink is certainly synonymous with breast cancer awareness. And the reason it is such, we will talk uh, just a moment with somebody that typifies exactly why that is the case and that is somebody who is in the midst of breast cancer treatment. I'd like to introduce you to the program right now, Madison Rosenbaugh Evangelista, and she is currently undergoing treatment for breast cancer, and we're happy to have her with us today. Madison, how are you this evening? I'm great, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for taking the time, and I guess most importantly for being willing to to talk a little bit about your particular journey uh, with breast cancer, and maybe for our listeners, just a quick summary of... uh, what your year has been like. I know uh, the bomb was dropped on you back in February. Yeah, um, definitely an unexpected year. Didn't see this one coming. Um, But in February of this year, uh, February 11th, because I love to remember dates, I discovered a lump in my right breast when I was at work. And 10 days later, after an ultrasound, a mammogram, and a biopsy, I got the call on February 21st that I had breast cancer. And after that, my life changed forever, and it's been kind of a blur in a way, but days at the time can actually move really, really slow for me, but I just can't believe it's already October, and I've kind of been through so much already this year. If you don't mind sharing your age. Uh, Yeah, so I was 29 when I found my um, lump, and I turned 30 in June. 
So just at the age of 30, you're, you're having to deal with this. And, and uh, you know, the fact, I guess, and the only reason, thank you for sharing your age, is, is because people don't necessarily think um, people that young can, can face this. But you are, and uh, I have heard you speak before, and you have an, an incredibly powerful story. But talk a little bit about what that's been like, what you've been through from a, from a treatment side and where you are right now in that treatment journey. Sure. So, um, okay, so, yeah, February 21st, I got the call. Um, that was on a Monday. Literally the next day, I ended up meeting with uh, my breast surgeon, Dr. Droche, and learned a little bit more about my diagnosis. On a Wednesday, I had an MRI. A couple weeks later, I had my port uh, surgery, and on March 17th, I started chemo. So for me, um, in my particular type of cancer, I did... Um, eight weeks of adriamycin and cytoxin, also known as the red devil. That's kind of like the joke street name because it is the color of red Kool-Aid. I did that every other week for um, eight weeks, so four total treatments. And then I moved to weekly for 12 weeks. Um, I was on um, carboplatin and Texol. Um, I had my last chemo on August 4th, which was delayed by a week. Um, I ended up getting COVID at the end of July, and that was a fun surprise. (laughs) I I couldn't believe that happened because I had done everything I could to stay inside, but it is what it is. And then on September 15th, which was just a couple weeks ago, I had my double mastectomy. Um, Right now I'm in the healing stage, and I will begin 28 rounds of daily radiation. I I'm guessing probably the end of October, early November, once I meet with my oncologist and chat a little bit more. But during all of that, I found out um, that I was positive for the BRCA1 mutation. And that particular mutation is responsible for breast ovarian and prostate cancers. And through that discovery, I learned there was actually several people on my dad's side of the family that um, were positive for BRCA1 and BRCA2. So it kind of... um, kind of led me down this road of doing a lot of advocacy in my family and trying to start the conversation about cancer and get folks tested. And um, yeah, here we are, I guess, eight months later, and I'm still in treatment, but um, kind of the worst bit, at least for chemo and having surgery is kind of behind me now, and I can focus on um, healing a little bit more. I mean, I still have radiation and um, some other things I need to do, I think, but um, yeah, it's been a wild journey, to say the least. Wild journey. And, and you sound very strong. How are you feeling physically? Are you feeling okay? Relative would, yeah, to what you have been so. dealing with? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first couple of weeks when I was coming off chemo in August, they were really rough. Um, I could definitely tell there was a transition in my body. I really tried to stay active for most of my treatment. I love weightlifting. I love hiking badger. Um, I love to run, to swim. A lot of that I wasn't able to do during treatment, but when I moved to weekly, um, I was able to get in a couple exercises here and there. But August was about me testing my limits. Um, I was able to go up Badger a couple times before surgery, and now that surgery is, um, I guess, yeah, three weeks tomorrow since I've had it. um, I've gone up Badger twice already, and um, I'm getting my strength back, and I'm really grateful for that. I've just really missed feeling myself and having a sense of normalcy during this time. So that's kind of what I'm after. And next comes radiation, but but the outlook, you you sound strong, but and is that the outlook you've also adopted to? 
Yeah, I would say probably for the most part. Um, I think I'm really, hmm, I, I don't know how to say this. Like, so I have stage three breast cancer. Um, and there's been just some questions with, uh, we, with some of my scans, um, looking at potential metastasis in my spine and it's unknown at this point. We are not able to get a biopsy. And I just keep telling myself every day, like, you know, regardless of what's happening, you know, I'm still here. This is what I have control over. Um, you know, physically I'm throwing myself back into the activities as I feel like I can do them, um, which gives me a lot of joy. And then just mentally I'm, you know, working towards that space. I'm not quite there. I think a hundred percent, like totally strong, I would say, but I'm, doing what I can to just take the time to focus on myself and um, listen to myself, um, which that kind of sounds weird to say, but um, I, I'm the kind of person that really is interested in my mental health and I really care about it, but I think it's really easy for me to toss it aside so I can focus on other people or, um, you know, I'm really active at work and I'll just be like, oh, you know, I'll take care of myself later. And you know, finding out about my cancer diagnosis has put me at the center of my life again. And um, that's something I'm not going to take for granted. So, yeah, strength is coming back both mentally and physically, I would say. But you, you sound to have an, an incredibly uh, a strong uh, approach, and, and, and I think that's to be commended. And especially yesterday, there was a flag raised over the hospital at Cadillac, a pink-white flag that flies during the month of October, and I know you got to to help raise it and spoke there, and you were so eloquent in sharing your story. Why are you Why are you so willing to talk about it? You know, it's a personal choice for me to share my journey, and I know a lot of folks who have gone through um, their experiences with cancer. You know, they are hesitant about sharing or do not want to, but sharing for me it makes cancer almost feel purposeful. So if I can convince any of my friends, my family, or even strangers to do self-examinations on a regular basis, um, to self-advocate in the healthcare system and prioritize their health over their busy schedules, then this will have meant something for me. Um, and it wasn't to say like I wasn't doing those things, but I think I could have done a better job and I want to take care of other people around me. So I've, you know, since the day one, the night I found out by my diagnosis, I've been blogging about my journey, sharing on social media, trying to encourage folks like to take the time to ask their family questions about their cancer history, um, you know, for folks that are eligible to get mammograms or even to try to get free screenings through the cancer center to, you know, actively seek those opportunities out and to take their health really seriously. Because I would, I, like you said earlier, like I am young to have cancer and that cancer really doesn't discriminate at any age, but I didn't know anybody my age that had cancer. And so now I'm that friend in everybody else's <laughs> lives. And I don't want to have a friend like me to go through what I'm going through. So I'm just doing what I can to encourage people to take control of their health where they can. Well, you are to be commended for not only the courage you're showing, but your willingness to share your story. Because I think it is impactful that people like you that uh, that, that might share with someone who is in a similar condition that might not uh, have that same approach. So thank you so much for being doing that. Plus, you got to go to the rodeo. I know I hung out with you for a few minutes at the at the rodeo back in August, so you yeah. had time to fit all that in. <laughs> yeah, that was so fun. I, I couldn't have imagined, like, a better night in my life <laughs> to ride in the carriage and just yeah. be around really great folks all evening was uh, 
a dream come true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your time tonight. Continued uh, best wishes from everyone here, and we wish you all the best as you take on the breast cancer. Madison Rosenbaugh, Evangelista, and we'll be back with her physician, Dr. John Drosch, right after that. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation, and we are thankful for Madison Rosenbaum Evangelista, who is currently undergoing treatment for breast cancer, and she talked about the incredible amount of treatment that she's endured since her diagnosis back in February, and part of that included consultation with Dr. John Drosch, who is a breast surgeon here in the Tri-Cities, and, and Dr. Drosch is joining us here on the phone at, uh, right now, and and I guess I would first ask you, Dr. Drosch, uh, to hear stories like Madison's and her perspective and her outlook and her approach. Uh, I'm guessing that's why you do what you do. Absolutely. Um, can you hear me okay, Jim? You sound great. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, we're certainly living in a great time when it comes to the management of breast cancer. And, um, uh, you know, it wasn't too long ago that we really struggled to um, – uh, you know, help women survive through this through this uh, diagnosis. As I was, we were talking about earlier before the show came on. You know, it wasn't too long ago that um, surgery was really the only option for most women. But now, with our medical therapeutics, with early detection and raising awareness, like we're doing right now, we've really uh, made a huge dent in the mortality for breast cancer. And so, seeing uh, success success stories uh, all the time in my clinic is uh, really, you know, it's, it's why I do what I do. You mentioned progress. What kind of, do you have any uh, data off the top of your mind that you could share to kind of illustrate what that what that means? Yeah, well, it, between 1989 and about 2022, we've seen a 43% reduction in mortality from breast cancer. And uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, just the strength of our medical therapeutics that we've developed over the years. In the early 1950s, really the only option was surgery for women, and only about 60% of women lived through breast cancer. Today, 90 to 95% of women are going are gonna to survive. And in Madison's case, it's always fascinating to me, and, and I guess breast cancer or whatever type of cancer diagnosis comes, the the process and the treatment plan that is developed, uh, I'm guessing no two are alike. It, it can, as you mentioned, it can, it can include a, a variety of different things beyond just surgery or perhaps even not surgery in some cases. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think in most cases of breast cancer, except for the perhaps the really, really, really advanced disease like metastatic disease, uh, surgery may not be that helpful, but by and large, surgery is helpful. And although... Each treatment plan is nuanced for the specific care of that patient. There are still very broad and evidence-based guidelines that we follow. So the NCCN guidelines, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, are all evidence-based guidelines that we as physicians are obligated to follow for the evidence-based approach and treatment care to our to our patients. So whether you're here or whether you're in Seattle or whether you're uh, on the other side of the United States, 
we're all following the same guidelines to treat our patients. Talk a little bit about, if you would, just in general of what goes in, because, you know, and like in her case, she had chemotherapy. She, I know she had to have a port put in to allow for chemotherapy, and ultimately she mm-hmm. had she had a double mastectomy. She had genetic testing. She's about to undergo radiation. Um, what goes into making those decisions, as you say? Is it just a combination of factors? It is. Uh, one of those is just the stage. So if someone presents with more advanced disease, meaning if they have a large tumor or we know that their lymph nodes are positive, meaning tumor has gone from the breast to the lymph nodes in the armpit, those patients might be best served by a combination of of more aggressive local therapy, so surgery and radiation to that area. But we also have to worry about the possibility that those tumor cells have somehow uh, made it out into the rest of the body. And if that's the case, then those cells at some point will turn into cancer in the bone or the liver. And that's where chemotherapy comes in. Um, I often have a a, a garden analogy that I use uh, with a lot of my patients, particularly those that are gardeners. Uh, If we imagine a large garden, a beautiful garden, which is actually the patient, and this big, ugly weed grew up in the middle of that garden, well, as the surgeon, I, I could certainly just cut a big hole around that plant and take the, the, that ugly weed out. But we know that this, types of, this type of weed tends to let seeds go out into the garden. We may not be able to see them right away, but come spring, if we haven't dealt with that issue, those seeds are going to start growing up into their own small plants and destroy the garden. So that's where the, the, the quote-unquote weed killer or chemotherapy comes in, is to treat the whole garden to rid it of that possibility. That's a fascinating analogy, and, and, and interestingly, as you touched on all the different disciplines within the medical profession that come together to develop treatment plans for each case of cancer, breast cancer or otherwise, I know Catholic here in the Tri-Cities has a, a breast center of excellence. Talk a little bit about that teamwork and what goes into to building a cohesive and, and really uh, uh, synergistic team to, uh, and to benefit the patient. Well, that's right, and I'm glad you mentioned that we do have a breast cancer center of excellence here in the Tri-City. And what that means is the Commission on Cancer has evaluated our facility, and based on all of the extra requirements, the the quality assurance that we do, the the every-other-week review of cases as a multidisciplinary group, and also by ensuring that we are following those NCCN guidelines, we've elevated our game, if you will, so that we know that we're taking the best and most current care uh, or providing the most current care for our patients in the Tri-Cities. And so it does take, it's very labor intensive. It, it requires a lot of uh, administrative work and a lot of um, just checks and balances. But in the end, we end up delivering better care. And obviously, that's worth it. And talk a little bit about, if you would, just the the, the varying levels. I'm always amazed at at the, the, the different disciplines within that team, you know, not only just mm-hmm. in the physician community, but, you know, these navigators and social workers and researchers and all of these different components that go into it. Yes, they are the glue that holds our program together for sure. We have, for instance, we have our breast cancer nurse navigator, Alyssa Howell, who is behind the scenes constantly navigating patients through our program. 
we have a, a radio uh, imaging navigator over at uh, Cadillac Radiology that is navigating our patients uh, uh, through our, you know, getting all the different biopsies, making sure they get all the appropriate imaging. And we're just talking about two separate people, but within the whole scope of our cancer care, there are multiple people just like them that are that are maintaining the uh, the wheels and the workings of our program to make sure it all is running smoothly. Sometimes I, you know, it, it, sometimes the surgeons and the and the medical oncologists and radiation oncologists, we kind of get all of the the, the glory. We we certainly have our our part, but it, it really is just a small part in this bigger um, plan to help our patients. Uh, we would be stuck in the water were it not for the many um, men and women in our in our uh, cancer care program that really are behind the scenes keeping it going. One final question before I let you go. And again, thanks for taking the time. Dr. John Drosch, a breast surgeon here in the Tri-Cities. If you would, just a message to members of our community that might be listening of what all of that expertise that you talk to, what kind of message of comfort and maybe to understand that that, that caliber of care is available right here in the Tri-Cities? Yeah, I, I as someone who trained at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, it was very difficult when I left there to leave kind of the, the womb of academia, if you if you will, um, and come out here where I just didn't really know anybody. But over the past 17 years since I've been here, we have grown a program that is that is excellent. It uh, delivers the same care as the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. We work uh, very closely with the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance for a lot of our patients. And so it's just been a, it's been a wonderful journey to see where we are today, knowing that we provide excellent excellent uh, cancer care uh, to all the patients that come to us. Dr. John Drosch, a breast surgeon here in the Tri-Cities with the Tri-Cities Cancer Center and the Catholic Regional Medical Center Cancer Oncology Program, a breast center of excellence here in our community. Back with our remaining minutes of Catholic On Call right after... You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And all throughout the month of October, we have been focusing on this program on the awareness and prevention and the warning signs all related to breast cancer as we round out the month of October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And one of the key partners in supporting prevention in our community is the Speck family of dealerships here in the Tri-Cities. And for the past four years, they have launched a promotion throughout the month of October called the Drive for a Cure. And for every car sold during the month of October at their dealerships, they are donating a free mammogram for someone who is in need. And so we're grateful to welcome to our program Dan Couch. He is part of the Spec family of dealerships. And Dan, uh, from your perspective yeah. uh, as in the car business, certainly uh, buying a car is a big is a big. Uh, uh, milestone in people's lives, and I, is is what it is. is the fact that this is part of it uh, makes it even more special for people. And from your end as a car dealer, ah, uh, yeah. First off, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to, to be on air with you. And, and you, you can absolutely, uh, you know, put that in a fact bucket because yes, buying a car is a huge purchase, but when you can come together and come and shop at a dealer like ours here with the Spec family. And you can make your purchase, make an impact, 
make your purchase make a difference here locally, for, you know, with the Tri-Cities Cancer Center. I mean, why wouldn't you want to spend spend your money, help it, you know, help that cause go forward? Uh, and when we talk to our customers uh, and we talk about stories, we talk about family members, friends, coworkers, all that have been affected uh, by by breast cancer. I mean, I'm sure me and you can have a conversation with one person after another, and you start making these connections with people, and you realize how important these mammograms are, this early screening, how much of a difference it can make for somebody. Now, this is the fourth year of this this effort uh, by the Speck Family Dealerships. Is that something that uh, the the management team over there found, that this is something that we need to get behind for our community? Absolutely. When, when we got together as a company four years ago, and we figured out uh, how deep these families' roots, uh, you know, the SPEC organization, our roots, you know, crawl out into this community. This is just, it's a perfect thing to come together with our local people uh, and all of our dealerships here all the way up into the valley uh, and just make make a huge impact. And, and yes, all of us on board, we're, we were very excited to team up with the Tri-Cities Cancer Center uh, and, and just start, uh, start the process. And and doing it year after year after year, we are gaining nothing but momentum. It's just people coming back uh, to do business with us here at the dealership because of this event. It's just super special. And, and your dealerships, uh, as you touched on, are not just in a specific part of the Tri-Cities, pretty well spread out throughout this region? Yeah, yeah. Uh, here locally in the Tri-Cities, uh, I'm standing in my brand new dealership in Kennewick, off the corner of uh, 395 in Clearwater, uh, you know, 2910 West Clearwater, in you know what do we call hallowed car ground here in the Tri Cities. But we also have our beautiful GMC and Buick location. That's off Road 100 in Pasco. And then as you start heading down the freeway, well, you can stop in, in Prosser. There, we have our uh, our dealership there in Prosser. Continuing to Sunnyside, where we have our Chrysler. Dodge, Jeep, Ram, Nissan, uh, and Chevrolet uh, Buick dealership there as well. So uh, we have a total in the fleet. We got nine franchises and we have five storefronts. So we, we're, we're, uh, we, we stretch out there pretty far. And, and so with this drive for a cure, then it produces some pretty healthy dividends for the Tri-Cities Cancer Center. Uh, talk a little bit about it the does. success that you've had over the years. Well, when we look, this is being our uh, our fourth annual. We've raised every time that we sell a car. Uh, we're we just to know you know how this works. Every time we sell a car, new or used, company wide, we donate a mammogram every vehicle on that customer's behalf. So over the past four years, we've uh, we've raised hundreds of mammograms uh, to donate to the Tri Cities Cancer Center. Well, well over four hundred, uh, and and it just keeps counting. Uh, we are off to a record pace this October with the community coming together. So I'm very excited to see what the finish line looks for us company-wide and for the Tri-Cities Cancer Center this year. Not to put you on the spot, but you touched on a little bit uh, the the personal nature of buying just buying a new car, buying a car in particular. But when you add this element to it, have you had any anecdotes of people that said, you know, gosh, this really adds a little extra uh, incentive for me and an extra special touch for me with this purchase because I know it's helping someone? You know, it, we can we can get a little closer than that. 
How about, I won't use specific names, but a lady that bought a car for me uh, last year during the event, a two-time breast cancer survivor uh, here locally, uh, heard about the event and couldn't wait to come, excited because she beat it, she beat it, and come shop with us, told us her story, such an amazing victory story that, that I got I to gotta hear and be a part of and, and to be able to come do business with us. And it was kind of a full circle uh, thing for her. And us, too, is really neat, special. I would assume so. And, and maybe if you would, just for our listeners, if you would just recap what this promotion is and, and, and what, why it's so important for, for the spec dealerships to be partnering with the Cancer Center Foundation on this. Yes. So wrapping it all up. So this is our fourth annual event. It's our Drive for a Cure event. We've teamed up with the Tri-City Cancer Center. And what we do company-wide at all of our franchises, all of our dealerships, every time a vehicle is purchased, new or used, we're going to donate a mammogram to the Tri-Cities Cancer Center on your behalf. So your purchase makes a big difference, and it doesn't matter, uh, it doesn't matter what vehicle it is, big, small, uh, scooter to four-wheel drive. If you got a vehicle that you're looking for and you want your purchase to make a difference, come give us a look. It's a great opportunity to, to, to share that into the community. Well, Dan, as as we are on the air tonight, it's October 26th, so there's a few days left uh, for people to take advantage of this drive for a cure. And if you are interested, I I just want to, on behalf of the Cancer Center Foundation and healthcare organizations in the Tri-Cities, thanks to you and and everyone at Spec Dealerships. Uh, It's a a great cause. It's truly our pleasure. Dan Couch with the Spec Family Dealerships. Again, the drive for a cure, if Purchasing all car purchases at their dealerships throughout the month of October, a free mammogram uh, through the Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundation. And if you'd like to support the work at the Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundation, you can log on to the website. Uh, easy way to do that, donate and support uh, health care in our community, tccancer.org. And I do want to close with a, a, a kind of a combination sidelight to that of a really neat young sto- a story involving a young man from Richland uh, who dropped by the Cadillac Foundation office last week and donated his piggy bank money, about $20, to the Cadillac Foundation in support of the NICU, which is a neonatal intensive care unit. And this young man's name is Cade, and in his letter in that accompanied his donation, it said, Dear Cadillac, NICU, these are my dollars. Here is, are the reasons why. Number one, children are important. And number two, I was born there. Cade spent 50 days in the NICU when he was born, and he's a delightful young man, has a twin sister, uh, Addie, who was one minute older. So, again, those are the heartwarming stories of support of uh, people, whether it's a young man donating his piggy bank or somebody buying a car that benefits a mammogram. If you'd like to support the work of the Cancer Center, it's tccancer.org or the Cadillac Foundation. Uh, supporting that one can also be done through cadillac.org slash foundation. Dan, thanks so much for joining us, and thank all of you for listening tonight. We'll talk again next week. Thank you.